0: Welcome to The Player's Voice, a podcast brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. My name is Alan O'Mara, a former Cavan goalkeeper now working as a performance and well-being consultant. And this week, I was joined on the podcast by a very good friend of mine, Niall McNamee. Since making his Offaly debut in 2003, Niall has been one of the most dangerous and consistent forwards in Gaelic football. In part one of this two-part interview, Niall reflects on his sporting career to date, why he came out of retirement after just one season away from the Inter-County game, and whether he plans to keep playing at the top level next season. Niall also shares his journey as an entrepreneur, which began by Googling how to make socks after a conversation with a teammate. Since then, his company 12s have gone from strength to strength, selling sportswear to people and teams all around the world. They just recently launched a brand new football boot that Niall's been working on for two and a half years and is incredibly excited about. Part two of this interview will explore Niall's journey as a recovering gambling addict, the role of gambling in sports and wider society, and helpful tips and insights for those experiencing problem gambling. If you are listening to this, make sure to subscribe to the player's voice on whatever podcast platform you prefer, if you haven't already, so you don't miss out. Finally, this podcast is brought to you as part of BIO360, a GPA program that empowers intercounty players across four key areas. Life skills, well-being, dual career and transitions. Please go to bio360.gallochplayers.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Niall McNamee, thank you so much for joining us on the Players Voice podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. You're known for many things, a legend with Offaly, a lethal forward, an entrepreneur, a gambling addiction advocate, a mental health advocate. You're a very good friend of mine. And I want to just jump back in and kind of start with, you made your Offaly debut in 2003. And to this day, over 20 years, like just coming up to 20 years, you know, you're still one of the most dangerous forwards in the game Niall and we hear so much from lads and and from ladies talking maybe having to leave the game at different times with the commitment struggles and trying to balance it and that's all kind of justified and there's very valid reasons for that but I suppose what I was curious about is how and what has kept you going all these years. Um, I suppose well uh first of all thanks for having me
1: on Al. Um it's been great to be it's great to be back on um chatting to you again. Uh, I suppose the biggest thing for me well, one of the biggest things is I've been very lucky with injuries um which I suppose through uh, well through different I suppose sports science and you know strength and conditioning coaches and just I suppose different learnings of um, you know how to approach training and stuff over the years it just has kind of meant that I've been able to keep the body in reasonably good shape where I'm not getting too many injuries um, soft tissue injuries more so that I can kind of mind the body which has been um, from brilliant I suppose the evolution as well I think of coaching and coaches as well in terms of um, you know years ago when I would have started it was sort of a one size fits all for everybody and um, if you're not able to do you know a certain amount of runs or if you're not you know you'd be seen as soft. After he have seen us whatever if he couldn't do the long distance uh, kind of stuff and um you know that's kind of changed a lot over the last couple of years as well i think and obviously then i suppose i've been playing for so long that you kind of build up a bit of um i suppose a bit of credit then maybe with with, with coaches and managers and stuff that you know i might not have to do maybe every uh, single thing that everyone else is doing in order to keep the body in reasonably good shape um and at the back of it all then i suppose the big thing i suppose for me has been i'm really enjoying it like it's been uh Um, I suppose I I would have retired back at the end of 2017 I didn't play in 2018 and I wouldn't say I overly missed it Um, lots of other things going on in life uh, lots of other things that um, take precedence over over sport as well but um, I just kind of felt in that time and after speaking to a few people I suppose players and and former teammates and stuff um, you know they all kind of would have said look Try and stay playing for as long as you can. You know there'll be there'll be a time will come where you won't be able to play anymore. And um, sometimes I look forward to that day where <laughs> where I won't be able to play anymore. But other times, um, you know, as it is right now, I'm you know I am enjoying it. Like I do enjoy the, the camaraderie, the training sessions. Um, don't necessarily love the travel, uh, and you know some of the things that go with it. But for the most part, um, I suppose I'm just trying to get. A, I suppose, squeeze and eke every last little bit of, I suppose, football that's in me, out of me, um, before I do have to hang up my boots and won't be able to play anymore. And, you know, I'll be a long time looking on. So um, I suppose that's one of the biggest reasons, I suppose, that I'm, I'm still I'm still kicking away.
0: No, th- and that's Savage Nile. And I think, like, one of the things that jumps out at me there is, you know, like that evolution of the game in tandem with your playing, that in some ways it's helping to keep it fresh for you, but also the advantage of sports science and of the support staff around teams is also helping to keep you fresh like have I picked that up correct? Yeah I think so I I, I think
1: um, as I say when I would have started out initially and I think most players uh, would probably say to staying back in around the mid 2000s maybe even late 2000s that it was sort of a one size fits all in terms of training and preparation and um, you know there was um, I suppose a kind of a template around strength and conditioning or runs that needed to be done, and I suppose a lot of managers might have taken the approach back then that you know if a lad picked up an injury or he felt a bit sore that you know he was maybe a little bit soft or he you know he didn't really want to he didn't really want it that much and this type of stuff. Whereas I think a lot more now it's a lot of it's related around you know players' recovery and how well they recover between tra- train sessions and games and. Um, I've taken definitely a strong. Uh, I've taken note of that a lot in terms of for my own recovery and it used to be a case of for me it was, uh, you know, more is more as opposed to now probably less is more in terms of how we recover in between games and it just leaves me that little bit fresher and obviously as well I'm 36 now, I'll be 37 in October. Um, I've just really got to know my body over the last probably five, six, seven years where I if I feel a niggle or I feel something's a little bit out of sync somewhere, um, I. Kind of know now where it's coming from, or I might know what I need to do to to, to alter it or to get it back one hundred percent. Whereas before, you know, if I'd a, if I'd. A and niggle here and niggle there i'd plow through and i'd play away and I'd, I'd keep continuing to play and um it might aggravate it even more it might have you know have a knock-on effect somewhere else down the line whereas now um i'd be very much comfortable and confident in my own ability to 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 suppose assess how i'm feeling in terms of physically how i'm feeling um to make sure that when i arrive to training then that i'm fully able to train and that just might mean um You know, something very simple, even with the club last week, we were doing a a, a group gym session, and I just wasn't feeling it. Like I was sore, I was. there was a bit of neck trouble. My head was getting a few headaches from the concussion a couple of years ago, and I said, You know what, now this just isn't the right thing for me to do this evening. So it's just having a conversation with management then and saying, Look, I just need to take the night off or do maybe a little bit of a lighter session. And um, two or three days later, I was back 100% ready to go again. So it's a, I said, you build up that kind of bit of credit over time as well, I think. I think there is the thing where new guys coming into a squad and younger people, they kind of have to impress or they kind of have to find their feet and they kind of have to, you know, maybe not necessarily do everything that they're asked, but you know, you have to kind of be willing to be able to. You know go through that sort of barrier that you need to get through to, to make it up to the next level but i think once you get a little bit older you can kind of you've um i suppose as i say shown what you can do to a certain extent then i think you get that little bit of leeway and as well that trust comes in then from management knowing that um me maybe taking a night off here and there is for the betterment of me and for the betterment of the team as opposed to me going out and training and actually setting me back further than a few days down the line
0: yeah, it makes perfect sense. Like you're kind of, from like the bank of experience you've built up, like you obviously have grown your self-awareness of yourself and kind of both, I'm sure both mentally and physically, and then being able to communicate that with a coach or with a manager and having that trust there that it's about ultimately trying to manage you for quality rather than quantity, quantity purposes. Is that kind of what it is? It is, yeah. And, and again, it really does come back to me as well from, a, from like I take a
1: savage interest in um in strength and conditioning, and I, 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 I'd, I'd, I'd really wouldn't say research it to the nth degree, but I would look at it, and I, I try and pick out things and pick holes and stuff, and I try to figure out, you know, what really works for me and why does it work for me. So, you know, you'd often see people like early part of the pre-season would be doing, you know, strength training in terms of loading the body to, you know, get to be able to do the explosive stuff when the year or the football season will kick into play. Um, for me at my age, now that's actually probably going to it, it it probably is going to be detrimental to me in terms of adding massive load onto my legs and say a preseason or my back or my limbs or joints or whatever it might be, and it actually would be detrimental for me maybe three months down the line. So for me a lot of it's just about is about maintenance at this point. Um I've spoken to people, you know, basically IRFU, Leinster Rugby, strength and condition coaches obviously, but awfully as well and said like the main thing for me would be like I'm not gonna get any stronger. Um so what is going to help me Improve say on the field or keep me on the field would be maintenance, making sure you know I can get faster, I can still keep maintain my high speed, I can still maintain um, you know reduce weight or you know get body weight down to a certain way that it needs to be that I can still be flexible enough in the pitch and stuff like that. So again, it's just me taking an interest in it and the like when the GPSs would have come in years ago. Um, wouldn't necessarily say I was a massive fan in terms of what they did but I'm actually after getting a lot in the last three or four years really after getting a lot of information on that um, both from a from my own perspective but also it gives you that bit of confidence because I'd be seeing the scores after maybe a, a training session in terms of top speed and stuff like that of fellow younger guys that are maybe in their early 20s coming into a full forward line and I'm thinking jeez now should I really still be here like and then now we, I know upstairs I have it like in terms of I can see the play I can you know skill ways I, 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 I'll survive um, but am I actually going to be okay to survive in an in a, in a inter-county game with a you know a top quality cornerback do I actually still have the speed to do it and then I look at the, the GPS results at the end of a session or after a game or whatever and see top speeds or see the amount of sprints, that type of stuff, and I'm going, well, you know, I'm still performing, like so that kinda of gives you that little bit of added confidence to say I'm not overstaying my welcome. And I always said that, I'd never overstay my welcome. If I feel that I'm not contributing and I'm taking up a space for somebody else, you know, I'll happily walk away. Like, but at this moment in time I'd feel, you know, I'm 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 still able to offer something in terms of um both on the pitch and obviously then a little bit off the field as well.
0: And like with all that, like in the work that you're talking about, like that kind of focus and that purpose and that structure that it, it has and gives to you, I kinda is that something that at this point in your life, like, do you worry about when the time comes where that does go, where all of a sudden your evenings are, are blank or empty? Is that something you've considered or thought about? Uh, yeah, definitely. I suppose the one big thing, I suppose, from an intercounty
1: point of view, um, like that's that's coming to an end. Like it's 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 not too far around the corner. I don't know how close it is. It could be next year, it could be this year, I don't know yet. Um but I'd I'd still love to give it a good three, four, or five years to the club. Like after that, um, now, for for me personally, I I like, you know, I wouldn't say this, I wouldn't believe it, but like I've been a terrific servant to our club in terms of you know never missed a championship season, never really gone never gone to America to play football, or I've never left, gone on holidays during championship matches. The only time I ever missed a championship game was was if I was injured. You know, I would have as soon as the county season finished, we were always straight back into our club, and and um, we always gave full commitment to them. Um, Having said that. I'd still love to do a couple of really, really good full seasons with the club. Uh, you know, start with the guys in February and March, where it's a little bit more relaxed. It's obviously not as intense as an inter-county season. Um, you can, you know, train them. Obviously, be tough, and you know, you'd be still training away. But there is that little bit of leeway in the background that you know I might need to take a weekend off here, or I might need to do whatever and um, go and play a bit of golf or go away on a holiday for a week early in the year or whatever it might be. Um, so I look forward to doing that when the inter-county finishes. But also then, whenever the club then finishes as well. You know, I saw many interests, and you, you, as you know, like I, I've interest in. You know, there's could be a dozen different things that I'd, I'd have an interest in that I could take up my time. Um as soon as football finishes. Obviously, coaching would be something as well that um, would really interest me as well in terms of getting my teeth into that. And, you know, I love looking at players and especially forwards and saying, you know, how could you improve that player in a certain little way? And there might be only a few small little changes that player needs to make, but um, things of that really, really excite me as well. And obviously, I'm a huge fan of other sports, huge fan of travelling, love being in the airport, love getting on an airplane, uh, all that stuff. I'd love to go to, you know, I'd love to go to Wimbledon. I'd love to go to... Uh, a few games in the NFL I'd love to go to the Super Bowl I'd love to uh, you know travel the world go to the World Cup there's loads of different things that I could do that I could plan and plan accordingly once the football and stuff finishes so um, I suppose this has been a massive chapter uh, in life and uh, a huge chunk of it and there absolutely will be a point obviously I'm sure where I will miss it and it will be obviously a little bit you know, upsetting to, to, to step away from it. But ultimately, I think I've had a fairly good innings. Like a lot of people have to have to finish a lot earlier um, through injury or um, a lot of people have retired early and then wish they didn't. And then by the time they realize it, it was probably too late. So I suppose from my point of view, I've probably got as much out of it as I can. Um, and from that point of view, I'd be very content whenever it finishes. And uh, as I say, I've, I've lots more things to look forward to in life. Um, we're getting married at the end of this year. Uh, we're looking at building a house. Uh, there's all these little things that. That, um I probably should have done already in terms, of, uh, in terms of the grand scheme of things, in terms of the scale of how we start doing things. But anyway, uh, we're getting there eventually. But uh, yeah, there's lots of things like that to look forward to. Obviously holidays and stuff like that as well, um, going and see other parts of the world. Um, and then just spending more time with family as well I suppose away from away from the sport like everything as you know it's it's geared around you know a game coming up the weekend or a game coming up in two weeks time and um, I I take that very seriously Um, now I still enjoy myself and I still you know take a bit of time out for myself but uh, probably you know I would like to be able to you know um, you know I suppose be a little less uh demanding i suppose of myself in terms of from, from that point of view in terms of uh the time i suppose i spend preparing for games and stuff like that but um again that'll all come in its own good time so i'm quite content where i'm at, at the moment and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you know once the thing settles down and whenever i do stop playing i think i'll be quite content as well
0: yeah like it, it sounds like from listening to you there now that like well playing for Offaly and playing for road has been such a big part of your life for i mean the large majority of your life that there also are a number of those pillars wrapped around you that you kind of feel are in a good place, be it with work, with family and your relationships and kind of other hobbies or passions or pursuits. And I suppose, like you mentioned, maybe retiring early there, and I think like it's the perfect time to ask. Like you obviously in some ways cheated a little bit in that you got to sample that when you retired in twenty seventeen, um, and then and then came back. Kinda of talk to me a little bit about kind of what drove that decision to step away from the intercounty game then. Um and then, obviously, you felt it was too early because we're now in twenty twenty two, and you've just completed a, whole, a full season again with Offaly. So, talk to us a little bit about drove. First of all, what drove that decision to step away at that time, and maybe where you are mentally or physically that kind of made you make a decision that's very different to what you just described to us. Yeah, and that's a really good question, actually. And I remember I was sitting in a
1: in a coffee shop in Manute actually, and um, I hadn't been playing overly well. I think in twenty seventeen um road had got we got to a Leinster final Lancaster club final in december 16 and i didn't come back for the league uh in until at, at the end of the league i think in april in 2017 and i think it was six weeks or maybe eight weeks out from the championship and it just took me a while i just wasn't getting up to speed and um i actually started the first round of the championship i think against westmead and i shouldn't have started in my opinion like, i was going into the game kind the of feeling not that I don't belong here, but I don't really have the work done that the rest of the boys have done. And um, anyway, that was that, that was what happened. And I didn't play well for a few games. And um, but that was my 15th season playing, so it'd be non-stop since you know I was 17 since 2003, and um, I was just exhausted with the whole thing. Uh, mentally more so than physically it just really had me drained completely and um, the enjoyment I suppose is starting to seep out of it a little bit because it was year on year and like over the years we've got to five Leicester finals with lengths, lengths and like they, that continues through to say middle of December one year went into January and then you're straight back into a league season which are with, with, with Offley and you're back into the rigmarole again and you're back on the same routine all over again and it's just very little time for actually stepping back and getting a little bit of a break and I suppose in a county like Offaly as well like There was never a time where I wasn't playing or wasn't starting, Um, even if I, you know, played right up to say December and never got a break because you had to be used for the Auburn Cup and then you're into the league and next thing you needed to be winning league games the first three games to get yourself a good footing the first two games to get yourself a good footing in the league so that was important. Then you're into a three week training block and then you're into the next third round and you're always trying to get promoted and um it's not like say maybe some of the Division one teams where they might be able to give some players a rest for a couple of games and then bring in new guys give them a chance and, and,
0: Yeah they can phase lads in or like
1: periodise it. Yeah and they'll still be okay like they'll still survive in those divisions like they won't get relegated for the most part they'll still be able to survive whereas we needed everybody to, in order to try and kick on and get on to the next division so from that point of view it was just I was doing it for a long time and just wasn't really enjoying it anymore and I was sitting in a coffee shop in Manute and just feeling really like I wouldn't say really low in terms of I just I just wasn't feeling it like and uh I just started typing away on the phone the next thing before I knew it I was I was done like and uh I uh, felt savage relief after like, and then didn't play obviously in 18 and uh, me and Laura went on a went on a couple of holidays in the early 2018 and I found myself still on holidays I was checking Twitter I was going on checking the scores if the boys were playing a game on a Sunday never went any of the games but I was checking the results even when I was on the holidays seeing how they were getting on and um, that year went through obviously we won the championship with the club and um, John Mohan obviously got the job then just at the end of twenty eighteen and uh, I suppose I just kinda heard that some guys weren't committing for twenty nineteen. And uh there's a good crop of young lads coming through that um you know, there's plenty of potential there and I suppose they were trying to see some lads you know, some lads were stepping away because of work commitments or they were going travelling or they were, you know, away on duty with the army or whatever it might be. But I suppose I remember chatting with one of the lads over Christmas, one of the road players who was on the who was on the county squad, like, and I wouldn't say I felt sorry for him, but I was thinking to myself, like, you know, them lads that are given the commitment they deserve a chance and they deserve you know to have as good a squad as if possible available to them to try and you know progress or whatever um, so I kind of was saying that to him over Christmas and uh, before I knew it a few weeks later one of the selectors was ringing me and um, like I initially I was like ah, no I don't think it's for me and blah 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 and uh well, a friend a good friend of mine was getting married in a few weeks and he was going away on a stag and a few different things and i wanted to go i never don't think i'd ever gone to stag in my life um up to that point but maybe one not that that's a massive big deal either to be honest with but but it was just some things that i was able to do now that i wasn't have to be thinking or putting everything in question around football i suppose and uh, a couple of weeks later then he was ringing again and eventually i decided to go back it was the week after or the week to friday night actually before the first round of the league and um She's I'm actually so nervous. I remember going over, we only started training in because It's my first time over there since the new Centre of Excellence. And um, I sat in the car, I wouldn't go in. Uh, I'm sitting outside in the car. I was, what, I was like, 31 years of age. Like, <laughs> and I was too shy to go into a restaurant. Like but the wife's having a meeting upstairs. And when the selectors come out and he walked me inside and he says, Go on upstairs to the lads. And I said, not a chance. I said, there's no way I'm walking in in the middle of a meeting when all them lads are sitting down. and I'm going to walk in the door. They'll all be facing up to the wall and whatever. So I went into the physio and sat down on the physio's table, Jerry Riley, who was involved with us before, so I knew who he was and um, I'd hurt my knee previously before Christmas in a Leicester club game, so he was giving me a bit of rub on that and then the lads came down after the meeting, they were all changing into the gear and they were uh, looking and saying hello and they were wondering what was going on and how they went onto the field, so that was kind of the start of it then, did water bike for the game on the Sunday and started back training then the following week and... Uh, I tell you, I've loved it the last four years. It's been amazing. It's been absolutely incredible. Um, just that freshness, new lease of life, kind of knowing that it's coming to an end, pressure's kind of off, don't really uh, love chatting to some of the younger lads, love giving them any little bit of advice. A lot of them ask me for advice. A lot of them don't. Some of them might need a little bit of a G up here and there and a like, little bit of a word in the about certain things. And uh, uh, it's been so much fun. Like um, The hardest part for me at the moment is the travelling. Like, And it's not even a massive commute, but like, it's where I'm living now and down to Kilcormack. It's about an hour. Um, and just at the stage of my life now in terms of age, like I need to be there for 6 o'clock to see the physio. Uh, so that's me being home probably for half, 3, 4 o'clock to get food in, to prepare right, to be down there in the car for 5, to be there for 6, quarter to 6, meet her and uh, get her up, do all the pre-work out stuff that I have to do. And then on the field for quarter past 7, not home maybe till 11, like 20 years of that now is, it's a fair stint like, um, but uh I'll say i've really enjoyed the last four years it's been it's been a wonderful kind of uh, life experience for me just to kind of see it in a whole new light it's kind of like fresh it was a little bit like when i started playing initially the first three or four years was kind of similar i really enjoyed it It was all new and um, you kind of get into that routine then i've just been on the county panel and kind of not realizing you know the significance of it while you're in those uh, middle years but um i've definitely come to realize the last number of years as well the 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 enjoyment that i've got from it so it's been uh, no it's been it's been good luck and uh, um I think taking that year out really benefited me from that point of view because um, I was drained with it. Like if I'd have kept playing in seventeen or sorry in eighteen and maybe nineteen, I wouldn't still be playing now. There's no doubt about it. It was just it was just that year out made me um, made me be able to you know recharge I suppose a little bit and then get the mind kind of refreshed and then come back in with a kind of new perspective of the whole thing and um, it's been really really enjoyable
0: before I kind of come to the, we we'll call it Nilemactomy 2.0 of the last couple of years in, in the off-league of colours, like take you back to that night where you you're, you go back into the training where you're sitting in the car and, you know, you talk about a 30 when you're all being nervous and like, I suppose already, you, like, so you make the big decision to step away and it's a really hard thing um, and you have that time off and that kind of room to breathe, but and like so it takes courage to step away but then it also takes courage to come back because you're setting yourself up here in the way of hey what if i come back and i've lost it or it's gone or what if the like if I, if I don't feel it or lads don't want me talk to me a little bit about like what's when you're sitting in the car on that night like what's going through your head when you have that feeling of of nervousness or kind of what's what's going on within you at that point yeah i suppose um well, first, <laughs> as mad as this may sound, first of all,
1: you're wondering: Well, do, do the lads want you back? Do, uh, from a plain players' point of view, um, because you know, I'm whatever. I think it was 31 or around that age. So you're thinking: Well, you know, is it time for some of the newer boys to come along, or is it time for someone new? Now, I suppose the, the one thing was, two lads hadn't weren't committed to play that year; they had they'd stepped away. Um, I, I just felt there was newer young lads coming through, um, and I thought that. It would give people a lift as well. Um, it would have given a few lads in the dressing room would have a lift, and it turned out that was the case. That was the predominant feeling that I got when 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 I went back the first after the first couple of nights. Um, and I suppose from a from a ability and skills point of view and fitness point of view, like I knew I'd be well able to play. There was no issue there. Um, I'd have a fairly good radar in terms of where I'm at with uh, with my fitness and where I'm at in terms of uh, what's required to play into county football. Now I tore my. Uh, posterior cruciate in the Leinster club just before Christmas so I actually hadn't trained or kicked the ball since uh, that game which was probably November Um, I think they said it was in I think it was a 12 weeks recovery for it and I think the 12th week or the 11th week was when I went back in with Offley. and that was then about 3 weeks of getting up to speed so I think I came on a sub in the 3rd game the 3rd league game that year against Loud. Um, that was my first game back, and my sharpness was off, uh, my timing was a little bit off, my handling was off. Um, but generally by about the fourth game, and it was always the case with me throughout my uh, intercounty career, if I wasn't up to speed by the first round of the league, um, it usually would take me two or three games to get up to speed, and then once that happened, I'd be fine, um, and that was probably the case. Now, we actually ended up playing Sligo in the last round of the league that year to stay in Division Three. We beat them by a point, um, and even at that point, it was the first game I started all year, um, and I, I played decent, uh, but even at that, I remember looking back at the video or the, whatever of the recording of it. Like I was a little bit leggy in certain times. Like the fitness levels probably weren't what they were. But as soon as the summer came in or the ground got a bit harder, like that for me was what intercounty football is all about. And it was pure championship stuff. So um, no, I suppose I was nervous going back in, just not really knowing um, what kind of the, the response was going to be. And then obviously as well, and this, as mad as this might sound, uh, like. Ireland's a small place, like and intercounty football. There's always people looking for news, like so. Then it's a bit of news as well, you know. And then you know people say, well, "This is after that," and I knew that. I knew to expect that as well. And I get nervous about that as well because that just I don't really like that. I. I it's just it's, it's very much. Uh, You've no control over. I suppose that's that's why I don't like. It. <laughs> for me now, and control, uh, it's uh, you know you kind of want to be in control of those types of situations, but you can't control it, so you have to kind of just get on with it. But that was probably another big thing as well that there was a bit of noise around it then as well. And for me, I just didn't really want that as well. I wanted to kind of just sneak back in nice and quietly, and then go back to the training with the lads and. Um, but yeah, I was nervous going in the first night, but as I say, after about a night or two, and a few of the lads young, or the lads, texted me then that night when I got home um, welcoming me back and saying how great it was to see me coming back in, and that felt really, really good as well because you do build up a thing in your own head of just, you know, I do they want me back in or whatever it was. So that was nice, and it kind of it gave me that little bit of confidence then as well. As I say, from a football point of view, I'd never had a problem. We won the county final, I think, the, that previous 2018, um, like I was sharp and I felt really really good and really really good Nick uh, I knew the year out was after really really energising me as well I knew I had plenty to give I'd probably give myself me my own, back in my own mind you know I'll give this one year maybe two years and um, see how I go and then maybe step away but as I say it's just been really enjoyable for the last four years so I said I'd, I, I'd stay gone. Um and uh, obviously we'll see how the rest of this year turns out before we look into next year.
0: So as of, as of right now you just want, kind of want to fit your finish out the club season you obviously getting married at the end of the year. Have you have you given any thought to whether you're going to play at intercounty level next year? The honest answer is no, to be honest. Um, I suppose,
1: uh, i just so much on. Like as I was saying to you before, like between work and uh the different aspects of the business at the moment, um, between the boots and then we're trying opening a shop at the moment as well, and then obviously with the wedding, uh, we're trying to plan that and the club football. Um, we're trying to organise planning permission for the house there's just a lot on at the moment for me and I suppose if I start looking too far ahead to do stuff like that in terms of the next year it just it it overwhelms me a little bit so I suppose at the moment I'm just taking things day by day in terms of just trying to get through the rest of this year I'm really enjoying being back playing a bit of ball with the club Um, that's been going really well we're in the semi-final of the championship in a few weeks time um, so that's kind of probably taking the main focus at the moment, and I'm just not really thinking about intercounty football at the moment in terms of from from next year's point of view. Um, I just kind of want to get the club season out of the way first, and you know, then it could all depend. I just it'll just see how I feel at the end of the year. I might be absolutely buzzing to come back, or I might just be drained with it again, and said, you know what, it's maybe time to step away. And that ultimately, what it'll come down to, will be my my I suppose my mental. Uh stay around it in terms of uh, do I feel emotionally exhausted with it, or do I think I have something else to give in it and if I feel I have something else to give, I'll absolutely go back, but if I feel that emotionally or uh, physically, I know I'll be fine, but if I feel that and it's it's there's things going through my head a lot when I think about it like but I'm thinking do I want to do uh an hour's journey down to Kilcormac when I'm very, very busy with work and lots of other stuff going on, you know, three times a week and then a game at the weekend and you're sitting on a bus driving up to the likes of Venice or somewhere on a Sunday morning when, you know, you could be out playing 18 holes of golf with someone about. These are all the things that are kind of flipping through my head at the moment. Dennis
0: Gillen's as fine a spot as anywhere.
1: Well, that's just the furthest place away that we're playing the league. That's the only <laughs> one I can think of. But, that, but do you know what I mean? Uh, and I've noticed as well the last year, probably definitely, I, I'm, I'm sitting up the front of the bus a lot more than what I used to. I used to be sitting down the back of the bus, but now. The cool kids won't let you down the back anymore. <laughs> well, I know. i have more in common with the manager and the fec- and the selector. <laughs> they're, they're more like my age, like, so that's probably, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a part of it as well. Like. Uh, but uh, as I say, it'll be more, it'll be, it'll be mental. It'll be, it'll be how I'm feeling emotionally about the whole thing in terms of will it be mentally draining to me? And if it is, I think I'll step away. But if I feel that it won't be, um, then absolutely I'll, I'll stay at it
0: for another while. Um, but that'll all be decided later on in the year. It's so, I suppose it's it's so refreshing just to hear that sense of perspective and that kind of peace you're at with it in terms of, hey, listen, don't got to worry about making a decision for now because I don't have to make it now. You know, as you said, there's lots of other stuff going on and I totally respect that, Um I feel like just the last kind of question on the football side of it just in terms of this year obviously the Talton Cup came in and it was a kind of a, a whole new thing and a kind of, it, from the outside looking it seemed to give a lot of counties a, a, just kind of a new avenue or rejuvenate you know you see the scenes that Westmead had after the final and just kind of those different it, it just seemed to have bred bred some life into a couple of counties again. And that's just for me from the outside looking in. So I suppose I was curious in terms of that competition coming in, how did it, A, kind of help you as an individual player who's playing inter-county football? And then B, how does it or is it helping counties like Offaly, like Westmead that are trying to develop and to grow? Yeah, I think the biggest, the key thing I took from it this year was, um, I suppose it was the, the or the, the
1: the benefit of playing you know, championship games in the middle of the summer um, and you were getting them week on week or every second week which meant, you know, the weather was nice, you're going training, uh, most of the training sessions are based around recovery or based around game plans for the next game that it's not overly taxing. Um, you're kind of just waiting, playing games every weekend and you're building into that. Um, and I suppose, you know, it, it has been tweaked I think for next year. One of the biggest things for me, like Wexford beat us in the first round of the championship. Um, I, I was injured for that game and uh if there was a, a qualifier game um, in two weeks' time, man, from Wexford's point of view, I suppose we beat them, in, or they beat us in the first round of the qualifiers, and then we beat them in the first round of the Tallaght Cup, and then they were gone. So, like, it was no difference to them uh, as opposed to any other year in the sense that you know they got their first championship game. They played Dublin, obviously, as well. But then they played one qualifier game or one touch and Cup game, and they were gone. Now I know that's changing for next year, where I think it's going into groups where you'll have more games. Um, the biggest thing for me, the best thing for me about it was that you got to play more games, that you got to play championship games in the middle of the summer, and we I think played four games altogether. Got to, got a run up in Crow Park, um, which is amazing for your development as a team and as a as a squad, and just that whole experience of of getting to play there together is is, is incredible. Um, in terms of, you know what it's going to do for, you take Cavan then as well, like Cavan obviously ultra Champions two years ago and, you know, they're in the Tottenham Cup and it just kind of goes to show you, and as well, like they were beaten in the final by, you know, a, a strong Westmead team, very organised Westmead team. Um, so in one sense, it shows you that there probably isn't, in certain ca- t- cases, there probably isn't that much between a lot of teams uh, in terms of quality. And... Um, if you can, and I know the year Kevin won it was a knockout championship. It was a or, or not a knockout. It was obviously a knockout, but it was a little bit different in terms of no backdoor um, through COVID or whatever. Um, but it just goes to show that there probably isn't that much of a massive leap between the the quality of the teams. And as I was, I've been talking about this for probably the last ten years, and um, every time someone asks me about the Tulshan Cup or the GA Championship, the Football Championship, I always go back to what it was like in the mid two thousands when the leagues were split uh, in one A, one B, and two A and two B. And in my mind the quality and the standard of inter-county football and the gaps that have been created um are never going to be taken back unless that is addressed and unless that is um unless that is changed back to the way it was back then because in my opinion since that was introduced in 2008 that that was changed to division one two three and four um i don't have the time but i've often asked the journalists to go off and actually look back in this re- and research it but I'd say in that space there's probably been only been maybe 11 teams that have been in division 1 over the, that that period of time and they get to play each other week in week out year in year out um, they get all the best coaches they get all the best backing, financial backing they get um they're driving standards all the time because they know that they're playing the best teams all the time and what ends up what has ended up happening in my opinion now other counties are catching up because um, they have been four or five years behind, but they are getting a lot of those structures in place. But I just think a lot of those Division 1 teams have got a head start because of the competition that they were playing in and the competitive nature of their games was bringing out the best in each other week in, week out. Now, someone will be listening to this and they'll say, well, sure, it's your fault that you're in Division 4, your fault that you're in Division 3. And I completely understand that side of it as well. But take into account Offi as an example, or any other county in that Division 3, Division 4, even bottom, middle, Division 2 bracket downwards they lose a lot of players. The player turnover in those counties is phenomenal. Um, and they can't afford to lose them. But the reason that the the turnover is so big, um, it's for lo- loads of different reasons. Uh, guys going travelling, uh, work situation, uh, lads going away with the army, injuries, whole host of different reasons that they lose them. And certain counties can't afford to lose them. And the problem with that was, or is, in my opinion, if, if for that reason that that happens, say, to a team in... If the two bad, ru- bad runs of it, say in Division 3, to get relegated, then they have a bad run in Division 4 the following year, they don't get promoted. It's very, very unappetising, if that's a word, uh, for an inter-county <laughs> manager to you know bring a lot of those players back or to get them excited about going back playing into county football when you're going to be playing in Division 4 it's going to take you three, four years probably five years even of solid commitment to get to a level to be able to get back that you compete in with a Division 1 team and by that stage they've probably accelerated on even further again um, so for me I'd love to see that formula brought back in I don't think there's a massive gap between a lot of the teams from a from a skills point of view I just think Um, they're not being exposed to that type of environment often enough and because of that when they do get exposed to it it's generally in the championship game first round and they get absolutely beaten out the gate and then it just completely demoralises them, supporters and everybody else and next year back onto the same thing over and over again so I get the idea for the Tottenham Cup in terms of it gives you competitive games during the summer but it's absolutely not going to fix the problem in my opinion of the massive gap that's been existing or that exists right now between the top four or five teams and that's all it is like it's four or five teams like no one can say Um, there's some teams in the bottom division one and they might think they'd have a chance of winning All-Ireland like the likelihood is that they probably won't Galway were an absolute uh, miracle story this year in terms of where they got to um, and they would probably kick on because they have that tradition within them but um, in general at the start of the year you're probably going to pick four teams who you think can win the All-Ireland and more often than not you're going to be right um, and it just takes competition over a little bit more like for, my, for me again it's one of my own experience. but when I started playing with Offaly at 2003, uh realistic a very realistic chance of winning a Leinster Championship, uh, being very competitive and getting to all our quarterfinal, semis- semifinal stage. That would have been our, uh, realistically, that's where we thought we were at. Um, but just since, to ta- since those leagues changed, uh, it's just gotten less and less and less. Those prospects have gotten lower and lower and lower. So I think that would be the first thing I would change. And I think in a space of about three years, I think you'd see an unbelievable uh, improvement in those mid division three to lower division two even top division four counties
0: No, i appreciate that perspective and insight there's a lot there and obviously like this you've played through all these different types of formats and things that they've they've, they've tried to try out so it's, it's so interesting to hear that from a player's point of view i think what we'll do is we'll close off the football chapter there we'll take a break to end this part one and we'll jump right back in with part two with Niall McNamee Niall, we spent the first kind of half hour talking in terms of this conversation about your football career, life on the field, the journey that you've been on. And I suppose at this point, I'd love to jump to the journey you've been on off the field, which is, you know, probably more important. Um, and I was going to start with Twelves. I know it's look, it's been your full time job. It's a company you set up and you founded. And I'd love for you just to tell us a little about that. I suppose where the motivation came from, and kind of when twelve started to be such a big part of your life. Yeah, so I suppose I, I used to work in. A, I used to manage a factory in
1: in in Kildare. I was a, it was a, a beef factory basically. We used to supply um, we used to supply product to, to to butcher shops around the country. And I suppose while I was working there over maybe a two year period, two and a half years. I just kind of learned about running the business. Uh, You know, I learned how to, you know, you buy for X, you sell for Y, these are your costs every week. And uh, at the end of the week, hopefully there's some extra money left over that can go back into the company or whatever. And just got a really, really good education around uh, the idea of running your own business. And something kind of, uh, even even when I was younger, I suppose, maybe early teens, late teens, early 20s, I kind of had an inkling that I wanted to work for myself, but I never really had an idea or never really had the confidence or never really had the financial acumen or anything else to go and do it um and so yeah we I just one day a training we're training with Offley and I uh we were both me and Ken Casey Ken used to play with Offley as well we were walking out the training over in Walsh Island and uh we were both wearing like these crew tennis socks you know the, like the white tennis socks and uh, everyone looked around the field and, and like I'd say if there was 30 guys training, I'd say probably 15 or 20 of them were wearing these socks as opposed to the the long socks that we used to have to wear for games. And um, I'd spoke to Ken a few weeks previous to this saying I'd love to set up my own business, but I didn't know what it was. And he said, well, why don't you why don't you make these socks for like teams, for in team colours? So that's what I did. I went home that night and I Googled how do you make football socks, basically. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and. I think it was coming in, it was going to cost about 8 euro or 9 euro, maybe, or 10, maybe more. I know it was more. It was about 12 or 15 euro, I think, maybe, to make a pair of socks in Ireland. And I said, geez, no one's going to fucking pay 30 euro for a pair of socks, like, if you're going to get a bit of margin and, or you're going to try and pay yourself a wage out of it. So I googled, you know, where can you buy socks or whatever. So I found a factory, sourced the factory in China. And uh, basically, within a few days, I told them what I wanted, why I wanted it, and they sent me a few samples. And the samples were nearly almost perfect from the first batch that arrived. They were about an inch, probably too short. Uh, so then that was it. I got them in, I bought in, got more samples. They were perfect. Bought in 5,000 pairs of socks, 10 different colors. It was 500 of each uh, color. And all they were all large size. I think all size 8 to 12 um set up a website really really quick overnight job uh com, where i used to do a few blogs around gambling and stuff and i put the socks a the shop on for the socks and i think the socks sold out like in a week no it wasn't a week it was about 10 days maybe two weeks five thousand pairs just gone like that wow. between teams and individuals um i was the first one in ireland to do them um no one else had started doing them at the time uh, Within, I'd say about three months, to six months, about ten different suppliers, ten different companies were set up doing the exact same thing. Uh, but I carried on and I started doing different colours for different clubs, and people were writing to us on Twitter and through the website and asking, "Can we get these different colours? And uh, so that was fine. And I never forget Bernard Allen plays with a club in Offaly called Tubber. Yeah, the Panda Bear. The Panda, yeah. Their colours are uh, their colours are black and orange, and like there would not be too many counties or clubs in Ireland with black and oranges or colours like so I wouldn't be very strategic but I'd be strategic enough to know like you know if I'm buying in socks I'll buy green and white you know I'll be fairly standard you know green and gold or you know whatever black and amber uh, but orange and uh, orange and black was, so anyway Panda said to me one that you're training when are you going to bring in the orange and black ones and like I think we had to buy 1, a thousand pairs at a time like of each colour uh, it'd be 500 say size, size 3 to 7 500 to size 8 to 12 and I said, well, Pan, how many how many socks do you want, like? And he says, oh, well, I'd definitely buy three off of you. And I said, well... <laughs> I, 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 said, I said, what about the other 997 pairs? Like, what am I going to do with them, like? <laughs> but, uh, so I think it was about about 18 months, uh, we sold about 40,000 pairs of socks. And from that then, I kind of... Now, I'd moved away from the nylemactby.com website at the time we started, set it up, the com website. And um, I wanted to... Uh, we got a logo, went to a graphic designer. Uh, initially, the socks were just, there was no brand on them. And Then I set up the uh, 12s, was the was the name of the brand that we settled on. Got a market, or graphic designer, sorry, to, to do up a logo and um, start putting them on the packaging and on the socks, set up the website. And when I seen the logo, then I went, you know what, now that would look really cool on a baseball cap. So then we started trying to source some baseball caps, found a company in, in, in Europe that would do them and um, start doing snapbacks and a few baseball caps. And then I needed to get a. Um, then I just said, that it look great in a t-shirt. It'd look great in a pair of shorts. It would look great in this. So I found the designer um, from, she's from America. She used to work for Burton and for Calvin Klein, but she's living in Dublin. Um, I met her through a mutual friend and uh, told her basically what I needed in terms of gym wear apparel. Um, she sourced a factory for me in Taiwan. We bought in compression gear, uh, long sleeve, short sleeve compression tops, uh, compression shorts, compression pants, gym t-shirts, shorts, and... Uh, you know, changed the website, launched a new website with the new products. And uh, it's kind of been going since then. It's about five years ago, I think, when I set it up. No, more, six years ago. Um, the socks were the initial products. And then it went into the gym apparel and the baseball caps. On that back of that, then we kind of start doing team wear. Don't really... We do team wear, but we don't really advertise it uh, because there's just too many companies doing it. Like uh, It's a race to the bottom on from a pricing point of view. And I suppose we're very much... We very much look at like the quality of the product that we produce to make sure it's of the highest quality, uh, and because of that, the price might be a little bit larger or might be a little bit higher than than, than other competitors. I'd say so. And um, we don't really um, we don't really focus too much on the wear but it is an aspect of the business as well. And obviously, then the last couple of weeks or the last few months, we've 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 launched a football boot as well, which has been. A, Probably the biggest challenge to date, but uh, it's been it's been great crack. Like I know it's been stressful, but geez, I've had I've had a ball doing it now over the last couple of years. It's been it's been it's been a really good learning curve for me.
0: So nice. So it goes from it you're walking off the pitch with Ken Casey and you're chatting about, you know, you spot a need there or something that you would want and you see other lads around are already wearing the half socks. And then for it to go from like an idea like that and a conversation like that to Quite quickly, you're having conversations with companies in different countries around the world. You mentioned Europe, you mentioned China, designers from America or wherever it was like. When you look back on on that initial time of setting up a company, like what's your memories of it? it like on one hand, I'm like maybe it must have been so exciting and fun, but then it must have also been like a bit chaotic and scary, and the whole combination of stuff was it? It was, yeah. I suppose the, the biggest thing was uh, as well. I suppose I should say this
1: is that I, I I stayed working in my in my current job at the time as well, so I was still working in the fac- I was still managing the factory, and just kind of dipping my toe in the in the old, entrepreneur uh, side, of, side of things because I just didn't have a clue how well it was going to go. So I saved up enough money to buy into 5,000 pairs of socks on my own. Um, I bought them in, they were on the website. They were, I remember I was at a function one night, one Friday night, I think the socks had relaunched that day maybe or the day before. And I, I wouldn't have notifications turned on on my phone uh, most of the time or any time really but this one night I had, I turned them on on purpose, see how many emails I was getting because it was set up or linked to the to, to the website and like I was sitting down having some food and the phone just never stopped it was order after order after order like, Really? Oh man it was incredible Like and Laura was beside me and I was like every now and again I was like hitting her under the table and just showing her the phone Like and there was about 10 emails, next thing I'd pull back in the pocket, next thing 25 emails and I said oh, I, I'm going outside, I go into the lobby and it look through all the orders, what people were ordering and stuff and really really exciting and um, as I say, I was still working um, I was still working, uh, managing the factory. So that kind of was the steady side of it. That was a steady income coming in. I was doing a really good job there in terms of, you know, I was always there on time and I had the place running nicely and it was kind of, I wouldn't say it was easy work, but I kind of had it running the way I wanted it to be running. So it meant that I could kind of start in the evening times, you know, just kind of dipping my toe into maybe the idea behind running my own business. And did that for about six months and then I just got to a point where I went, you know what, I think I have something here. So I said, right, I'm going to, uh, throw me hat at it and uh, away I went and um, yeah lots of uh, lots of I suppose ups and downs and you know a little good times and then a few short, you know difficult times as well uh, in terms of just laws of lessons I suppose really is the ultimate uh, thing I would have found over the last five or six years is you know buying socks for an example is way different to buying um, you know a gym t-shirt or a, a, a gym pair of gym shorts or a pair of uh, a baseball hat. You know, it's a massive, there's a massive different market. Um, for anyone that's listening that wants to set up their own business, I'd say selling socks is an incredible uh, thing to sell online uh, because you're either a size three to seven or you're a size eight to 12, like there's no discrepancy in it. And if you're wearing them playing football or if you're wearing them training or if you're wearing them whatever, like the likelihood is you're gonna lose a pair after a few weeks, um because there's a pair of socks, you're likely gonna lose one of them. So then you'll be back on. It's a cheap product to sell. People can just go online, give you whatever tenor it is a bit of shipping, they'll be there within two days, you'll have them at your door. Like so that was the big thing I found from the from the socks. So then of course I'm buying in gym teachers shirts think on compression tops going sure these are gonna sell as well. Like sure, these are an easier product, but it's a different market. You're trying to you're competing with um much bigger brands uh who have that market kind of all sewn up you're not able to get retail space because um you know you speak to your retailers majority of them will say no i you know we don't sell anything from another brand unless it has a badge on it so unless it's like a man united jersey or a leinster rugby jersey or whatever it might be they're generally the main things we sell now so we only sell a certain amount of gym wear slash running wear um and we only go to the really really global brands for that so your underarmers your adidas your nike and that's that's absolutely fine. Like, but again, I'm just kind of learning all this as I'm going along. I'm thinking I can walk into Lifestyle and say, "Look, these are my gym compression top, and it's it's way better than Under Armour's." Which, you know, there was no reason to say that it wasn't. Like the research that was going into ours to make them would have been unbelievably high quality. Like, but you're just competing with uh, just a um, monster, and uh, you know the shops are just saying, "Well, we just don't have that. Uh, we can't take a risk on it. We need to keep you know churning all of our over business." So that was just loads of learnings in it. Um, and then, obviously, as I said, we've moved on in the last few weeks or the last few months to the. Uh, well, not, I wouldn't say moved on. I said we launched in the last few weeks the football boot, uh, which has been about two and a half years in the making, like, and uh, that's been incredibly exciting, uh, uh, incredibly exciting. It's like it's a bit like the sock initially. So when I brought out the sock, as I say, we were the first one to do it, and it was great. Uh, Great excitement in that as well because you're changing what people do. You're changing uh, like something that's been going on for I don't know how many years where people were wearing the long O'Neill, say, socks, but like they were rolling down around their ankles. They were wrapping tape around them. They were doing everything they could to stop them slipping down their feet. Um, so we changed all that within a couple of weeks where people were now wearing the short socks in their own club colours. They didn't have to pull them down. They didn't have to wrap tape around them. It was just a perfect fit. Um, and we knew it was really good because, as I say, within about... I can three months four months five months it was about 10 different companies doing the very same thing so I said it has to be good but um it's very difficult it was very easy for me to get excited about that because I knew it was making a difference it was changing something around the game uh the gym wear the gym apparel really good quality stuff like savage work went into it in terms of the design in terms of the fit but for me it was very very difficult to get excited about um a gym t-shirt you know I have to be honest like
0: is it because you were replicating rather than like disrupting or like evolving is that what it was yeah, I think
1: again. I suppose initially from the from the very word go, I said, look, if we're going to make if we're going to do gym apparel, it's going to be really, really good quality. So it's going to be better than what anyone else in Ireland says doing. It's going to be really, really top level quality stuff that we're making because um, it has to match up to the socks. And that was always the initial thing that I said in my head. I wanted a really, really good product. So the quality needs to be top class. Um, so that's kind of what we were going for. Um, but a lot of us don't just American and. Uh, so ultimately, I don't know if a lot of people know this, right, but so you might hear like Nike have a factory in Taiwan or might have a factory in Indonesia or whatever it might be. But the likelihood is Under Armour share the same factory or uh, Adidas share the same factory. They just have space on that floor. They have their own department within it and they're just making the same. So it's basically, one says it's basically the same stuff, but it's like a T-shirt is a T-shirt at the end of the day and a fabric is a fabric. And it's very easy to just get a... a, a, a a fit a size a shape um send it on to the manufacturer and then they make it and then you get it now it, is, it can be adjusted for fit it can be all the type of stuff and the fabric needs to be good and there can be certain components or certain fabrics in different parts of the top all the type of stuff um but ultimately it comes out it's a marketing war in terms of who can promote the product best who can get the most high profile people wearing it and um, so from that point of view for me i just I wouldn't say i found it difficult i just found it a little bit it's very hard for me to get excited about and then i moved on to the boot and we started getting you know, just an idea around creating maybe a runner and a football boot. And as soon as I started that process, man, it was just like my head started to shoot out ideas left, right and center. I was just, now in my view, everything else outside of the football boot is an add-on to the football boot, if that makes sense. So for example, now say if I post you out tomorrow morning uh, a pair of whatever size football boots are and they arrive at your apartment in the next few days, your house in the next couple of days, if you were to take a photograph of that or a video of that, uh, put it up on your Instagram or whatever, the likelihood is I'll send you a, maybe a compression top and a compression pants and a pair of shorts or a t-shirt. But the main event is the football boot. Everyone, in my eyes, I look at that and I go, ah, oh, that is, that's what people came to see. Now. The T-shirt still does this job. The pair of shorts, you can still wear that to the gym. It'll be an absolutely quality product. You buy those pair of shorts, you'll have them. Like the pair of shorts I'm wearing right now, I wore these maybe five years ago and they're still, they're like, they're 100%, they're a top class product. But it's a pair of shorts and it has a logo on it. Whereas the boot, that is, that's designing, you know, for me playing sport for so long and for being so into it and, you know, wearing different branded boots and trying out different boots and trying different fits and different styles and understanding it over the years in terms of what's comfortable and what's not comfortable and getting into the root of that of how the boot is made and how it's put together and why certain things work and why certain things don't work. For me that's unbelievably exciting and like trying getting up every day. Like I'm I, I'm spending a fortune on well, have on other brands' boots over the last couple of years, just bring them home, cutting to pieces and seeing you know, what's different from the one I'm developing as opposed to what they have developed and how can I make it that little bit better? And again, you're fighting for factory space, you're fighting for all this type of stuff and like I'm only a little guy trying to kind of break into that market. But that's the challenge and that's the enjoyment in it for me as well because, um, suppose from an Irish brand's point of view, I look at it and I see like, even at the European Championships the last couple of days, I don't know if you are watching like, but some of the the athletes, um, Kieran McGean and I think Mark English won or finished uh, third. um, What's the other names? Rashida and Israel, they're the 100 meter, the sprinters or the 400 metres. Like, Ireland produces world class athletes. Like, they always have. you Take your Roy Keynes, you take your Dennis Erwins, or you take, say, Zach Toohey over in the AFL, or Mark O'Connor. Like, lads are well able to adapt and are well able to play on a world class stage. Like, and there's never been a brand or never been a football boot or something that they've actually brought with them, or that they've actually been able to say, look, well, I wear this one and it comes from, it's made in Ireland or it's, it's manufactured, it's, 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 the brand is is born and bred in Ireland. And I suppose that's something that excites me to say, okay, like, and I, I suppose I've been lucky over a number of years to play with top level sports people in terms of GEA and get to meet people from different sports, where you'd have a couple of those connections where you can have those conversations and then you can actually present them with this uh, product that we've built over the last two and a half years and say, this is how it's going to improve the game. So. My game is Gaelic football, but this boot is designed for Gaelic football, uh, hurling, camogie, rugby, uh, NFL for a field goal kicker, for a wide receiver in NFL. Like That's the level that I'm thinking at in terms of when we we're designing this. Like It has to fit across all those sports. Um, soccer, obviously, as well. Because, um, again, my biggest fear, and the one thing that I don't want to happen, is for us to get pigeonholed into being a GAA brand because... Um, that's absolutely not what I want to be at all. Um, now, absolutely, we do some GA team wear and we do the socks we were initially probably a GA product, but um, further than that, we would see it as being, I suppose, a lifestyle uh, brand in terms of uh, also creating really, really good products for basically professional, high-performance athletes. That's the that's kind of what we're going, with. and I suppose the boot is probably the, the first step onto that ladder in terms of the quality and the detail that's gone into making it. Um, and the pure absolute stress that
0: uh, i've endured over the last two years getting it going it's funny you know when i listen to you there like you talk about cutting up boots and like trying to it's almost like there's a mad scientist 5d in terms of trying to tear these things apart and then put it back together in a way that that you want it to be like within that whole process like what so the boot that you have now it's on the market it's called the viper right yeah, there's a Viper 1.0 is the first boot. There's a hard ground and a soft
1: ground one. So the white one is soft ground and a black boot is hard ground.
0: And so in terms of all that work, then, like, you know, sometimes, like, like obviously, like, there's lots of people listening will have played sport or do wear boots. You mentioned earlier about sending me one. You don't need to send them to me if you need the video of someone kicking a couple of wides in these boots, which I'm not sure is the market you're going for. But, uh, like, what are the things then, like, in terms of all the hours of work and all that kind of literally as you said like cutting boots apart or ripping them in to see what's in the sole or whatever what kind of what have you taken all that to kind of what's different about the boot that you have created ultimately? Yeah, okay, so I'll just take you back to the start of it if you want. So
1: I, I mentioned before with the lady for the American lady who would have done, designed most of the apparel that's on our website at the moment. Um, I approached her here about two and a half years ago, I think it was more at the start of COVID, I think, and said, You know, do you have a contact or can you design a football boot? And she said, No, but I have a guy who used to work with me in I think it was Burton and he used to work for Nike as well. She said, uh, it's a great guy, and she put me in touch with him. And um, then we just went looking. So I, I spoke to him over Zoom. We went looking to get a factory, to source a factory. So it's re- really difficult actually to find a, a, a factory that will make these, uh, will make football boots. And um, especially for someone like me with small minimums where you're trying to just initially get the thing going and trying to actually get it, develop a product. But we found a factory and they sent us about 15 different samples of unbranded boots. So no branding on them, they're just literally a plain boot and with all the different materials that are available for boots, boots to be met in. So there's uh, so there's kangaroo leather, there's uh there's about five, six, maybe 10 different types of material that can go onto the the upper of a boot, which is basically the part of your foot that you're kicking the ball with. Um, so we've seen all these 15 boots um, over Zoom I showed him the different boots I wanted, um, in terms of the fabric. I showed him where I wanted certain moulds to happen on the boot, for say from a kicking point of view. And um, then you discuss things like weight. You discuss like uh, what type of studs do you want, say on the hard ground boot. Um, so as yes, I fed all the information through to the designer, uh, he disappeared for about two weeks. Come back to me then with the design of the boot, um, and. Like, the design was unbelievable in term, initially. Uh, I think the design, we, we never changed it, I don't think, from his initial design. and um, There was a lot of tweaks around the actual fit and the actual, uh, say, certain areas where we put padding and certain areas where we wouldn't. And So say the instep on, on the 12s, on the Viper 1.0, the instep on it, it's double-layered, the instep is, right? Which mightn't mean anything to anybody. But say anyone who plays football, for an example. So the boot's still very, very light. But... I've often more different branded boots that are really light but you go to kick a size 5 on eels in the middle of winter and my God it would absolutely be bruise be on your foot. <laughs> oh man break your foot now brilliant boot once yeah. the ground gets ground gets a bit harder it uh, gets a bit warmer it might take you maybe 10 minutes to warm in maybe a couple of kicks it might be a little bit sore but then eventually it'll be fine your boot, will be fi- your foot will be fine so I had that in my mind consciously thinking right like that can't be the case here it needs to be light but it can't so at the instep we've got a double layer so there's an, there's an embossed portion on the, the, the outsole and the inner part of the foot, the instep, um, but it's double layered. So when you kick the size five on eels with this, like it just pings off the foot, off the boot, it's just, it's gone. Like, it doesn't even feel like you're kicking. It's just incredible, the the sensation. But again, it was always designed then. So say I take then an NFL goal kicker for an example. Uh, same thing, you're hitting the ball off the instep, but it's pinging off it. So it's the same type of a strike that you're gonna be getting. Same with a rugby, per- or a rugby player, out half, uh, fullback, whatever it might be kicking the ball say into touch that's more outside of the boot but again there's an bus portion the outstep of that but also kicking a conversion or kicking a penalty in rugby same type of emotion same with the instep in step and the soccer ball um, so all those things were taught but then you obviously you're thinking I'm thinking long term in terms of growing it into different sports doing either wide receiver in American football wearing this what would they like what kind of light what kind of a weight today? they want in that obviously they're not going to be kicking the ball but it still needs to be light for them and obviously then through cost you can't just well I can't at the moment go and make a boot for an American football team or a wide receiver in American football that is just only going to be for them because like, it's just I'm not in that market at the moment so for me it was about making a boot that was going to cover all of those different um sports without limiting it to just one in particular sport if that makes sense so that's supposed to put all the hard work has gone into and again I was completely raw at this I had literally I was at the behest of the the designer said right you design it and then as the more has gone on over the last probably year and a half even more so probably the last year and a half year where it's been getting out to the nitty-gritty i've really started getting into the actual makeup of the boots and um, seeding so a sample would arrive at me and i'd test it and i'd wear it and then I might see there's something out of place here. So then it'd be a case of, okay, cutting it up, seeing what was on the outsole, what was on the the sole board inside the boot, all the little things that make up the boot. Why was this doing the way it was doing? What, why was it doing what it was doing? And why was it reacting the way it was reacting as opposed to say, some of the bigger brands. And then it cut open their boot and the makeup, and some of them would be the very same. And then other boots then, there'd be far more detail in them. And it was a matter of then, of just through trial and error then, and processes of adding in set, certain certain layers to the boot. And then still being conscious of the weight, still being conscious of the target audience, still being conscious of price. All of those things have to be taken into account in terms of what you're actually making. Like you can make the greatest football boot in the world, it could end up costing you €200 Euro to make it and you're trying to sell it then to make a margin. like It's colossal. So you're trying to fit all of those components into finding something that is affordable uh, and also is like really, really good quality for Everyone who wears it and it'll it'll last then as well. Like so, it's it's like the retail at the moment for 150 euro, like 150 euro. in these times is a lot of money. Like so, we're very aware of that. That if someone buys the boot, um, that it's going to last. They're going to get you know a couple of years and more hopefully out of it. Too. Even three years out, if needs be. Now, most high-performing players will probably be going through a pair of boots a year because that's just the way they are. But for a club player or somebody that's playing you know, Sunday league at uh, Sundays or whatever it might be, like a pair of boots like that should be lasting them for like two year minimum and then after that it's up to themselves what they want to do so we're in that kind of range at the moment then as well if we're trying to develop one for kids that's a little bit cheaper same type of design but obviously different components to mean that we can make that a little bit cheaper that you know parents aren't out of pocket then buying it because kids are growing out with boots in no time um, so we're trying to think of all those things at the same time as trying to market it and trying to get it on the on pitches and get people wearing them, and uh, you know, getting ambassadors and all the type of stuff. So there's a lot in it, but uh, as I say, it's 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 energized. After energizing me big time over the last couple of months, I'm really I'm loving it. Like as I say, it's it's special seeing people playing a sport wearing a boot. That's there's so much effort gone into it, and especially in Ireland because I think the Blackthorn boot back in the late seventies, seventies, eighties was the last time anyone in Ireland's ever even stepped into this space. O'Neill's will do like kids' boots at like you know they're. 20 euro 15 euro 20 euro type job Um, they've never actually stepped into that market Um, probably, <laughs> there's probably there's probably a reason for it i probably should, <laughs> I, <laughs> I probably, I probably should have
0: asked why they're not as mad as you <laughs> oh, yeah exactly
1: yeah there's definitely a reason behind it but anyway um look it's interesting and as i say i've, I've, I've good not I wouldn't say good connections but there's people that i've you know spoken over the last number of years in different sports you know they're playing the game at a high level um They've been trialing the boot for me. Like they've have the samples over the last few months before the actual original batch come in. Um, you know it's been received very, very well. Um, and there is in the pipeline. We have another batch due in in the next few, uh, probably about two months, with a few little tweaks, uh, a few little alterations, maybe a colour change as well. Um, and I wouldn't say, wouldn't say it too loud just yet, but I'd be very, very confident that we'll have probably six, maybe of the most high profile sports people in the country wearing them by the time. January comes around next year. That would be the plan, on yeah. you.
0: Brilliant. It's um, you said it's like you know, it's so it's so interesting to hear that journey from literally I go back to that conversation where you're walking off a pitch, talking about socks and being like, "Grand, yeah, googling how do I make socks?" Um, and for it just to go like through all those different phases and, it's been, it's it's clearly something you care so much about and, and you're so passionate about and, like. You listen, you're focused on the boot now, and I'm sure there's probably something else that will come down the line. Um, but I suppose when you reflect on on that journey, Niall, of like going from literally, because a lot of people will listen, like from, from an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial perspective, or maybe that they want to do it, like to get that journey of like literary idea to execution and then you're growing and you're going against either big international brands that already have a market locked in, but then also you're dealing with other pop-up kind of startups that are then replicating what you're doing. Like even when you try and reflect on all that, like what's kind of, and even as I recap that to you there, what's the, what's the kind of big feelings or big thoughts that come to your mind when you recap on that journey of what you've had so far? I I would feel, uh, personally, I probably would have
1: always felt, I probably was never in the space to be an entrepreneur when I was a bit younger, um, through a very a variety of different reasons, um, but I do think it was always in my blood to do it, like I think it was that, you know, there was that calling within me, and I, that could have been anything, that could have been, and like, you know me better than anyone probably, Like so that could have been, you know, doing... Uh, motivational speaking that could have been like whatever setting up a coaching seminar it could have been loads of different things um, could have been owning a butcher shop could have been doing anything like I used to work in the, the uh, I used to work in a butcher shop could have been, it literally is, it's the same thing it's, but it's that drive I think for me to to have something that's my own and to be something that I'm really passionate about and I, I think it comes from football a lot of it as well in the sense of I love that camaraderie that's involved with being a part of a team and you know having a kind of a purpose towards something and a drive toward, about something and um, this because I suppose it's my own um, and I often see it I, I'm very I'd be very aware now sometimes even today actually as an example I was in getting a cup of coffee somewhere and I'm, I look at st- staff maybe in a coffee shop and they might just be working there and some people are brilliant incredible and they love and they get stuck in the chat to customers and they get involved and they're then others are just there because they have to be there. like They're just there because it pays the bills, but they don't really enjoy it. Like, And for me, I think that's, uh, I never really want to be that person. I want to be someone that's absolutely, totally energised about what I'm doing and be really, really excited about. Um, uh, as I say, it's been so stressful. Like the last, I won't, I won't lie, like there's no, like setting up your own business and running your own business and trying to keep track of finances and like you're literally doing everything. Initially, anyway, in the first couple of years, it's literally, you know, everything that has to be done is me The accounting side of it, the, um, the marketing side of it, the trying to raise finance, the shipping, the everything. You're like, you're packing up socks one minute, next minute you're on, online putting up a few tweets or a few things on Instagram or uh, Facebook around, you know, socks or around whatever, links to the website, this type of stuff. Then you're trying to get people to wear it, so you're trying out marketing them. You're, then you're in trying to keep track of the accounts, you're lodging money in the bank, you're checking, all this type of stuff. So, like, it is tough. Like, there's no, um, and if it's not for you, I think you'll find out very, very quickly that, you know what, now, this really isn't something that uh, is going to suit me. Like, and there are only a certain cohort of people that will actually like to do it because there is... There's a sadistic kind of a kind of a backdrop to it all like of this idea of um, there's that up and the down, the highs and the lows of it all. and I think if you're not ready for that, I don't think it's something that you should be doing. but um, I've set myself so many targets over the years of right geez, if this is some work out in the next year, like I'm going back to college, or I'm going to get a job, just working nine to five or doing something. And then something always happens, like something always positive will happen, like, ah, sure, I'll give it another year, and we'll give it another two or whatever. And next thing you get to this point of the boot starting, and it's something that reinvigorates the whole thing. and get investors in, on board and they're excited about it and you see that bit of growth in it and you see that bit of a future there with it and um now I ne- it, might, it might not necessarily be a future for me I don't know what way it's all going to turn out someone else might come in and run the business or someone else might want to buy it or I might fold it up or it might take off maybe when I'm gone you know you never know what's going to happen with it like that's that's all fine like but I do still think in my own in my own ghost, in my own Uh, Heart, I always felt that you know I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I never knew what angle it was going to take, and I suppose it's just taking me to this point now. And I said this in an interview recently as well, and it might sound a bit weird, and maybe some people would relate to it, but sometimes I do feel like someone else is driving the bus when it comes to this. So there has been times where I've thought, "Jeez, I'm I'm stopping this," and next thing, something would just happen and something would click, and you know, orders will start coming in or I get another idea or someone will contact me about, you know, something down the line and there'll be a bit of a hope and a bit of spark. You know, I'm going to have to stay at it or I'm going to have to do whatever. And And the right people have always seemed to show up at the right time. Well, it turned out it was the right time Leading into it, I was thinking this is pure torture. And next thing, the right person will show up just when you need them. And next thing, we're back on again. And um, that's been the case for the last probably five years, six years of, uh, you know, when it does get difficult that eventually someone or something or something happens or the right person turns up to kind of guide you through the next phase of wherever you need to go and the next growth of the company. And um, as I say, it's, uh, and I know it comes across in my voice. The amount of people I tell this story to, not a lot now, but when I am talking about 12s and the business and the growth of it, like, I do get very excited about, it. and I think everyone kind of can probably hear it in me because it's just that you know it's it's something that I'm just I suppose very passionate about in terms of where it started and obviously where it's come to over the last couple of years. And I'm very proud of it as well, like like uh, you know paying the bills and uh, looking after the finances and there's a roof over the head, there's food in the fridge, you know what I mean? The, the car is taxed, there's insurance paid, the like all those things. There's diesel in the car, um, like. For someone that's working for themselves, to be able to provide those things through work their own business is like it's it's a challenge, and to be able to do that for the last six years is, uh, you know, it's been, uh, you know, I will say I'm very proud to be able to say that I've been able to do it, um, and like I know you know what I'm talking about as well, and other people I'm sure will know will know the kind of you know how difficult that can be. So yeah, look, it's suppose well, that's that's probably the the biggest things I've taken from it over the
0: last couple of years. The Player's Voice podcast is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. Don't forget that part two of this interview with Niall McNamee will explore his journey as a recovering gambling addict, the role of gambling in sports and wider society, and help that is available for problem gamblers. To listen to previous episodes with leading inter-county players like Neil McManus, Con Kilpatrick, and Ashton Thompson, make sure to subscribe by searching The Player's Voice on whichever podcast platform you prefer. And while there, you would really be helping us out if you rated or reviewed the show. My name is Alan O'Mara, and to find out more about my work as a performance and well-being consultant, please go to www.realtalks.e or find me on Twitter and Instagram at AOMTheCat. And please don't forget, you can find out more about the GPA's BIO360 program by visiting bio 360gallicplayerscom Thanks for listening.